questions about suffering. You know, if God is such a good God, why do we suffer? Things of that nature, answer those questions. But more than just answer those questions, I wanted to help the people in our church be able to answer some of those questions because the devil is really good at attacking us both when we're up and when we're down. And uh, ups and downs happen in life. And if you don't know that, you just haven't lived long enough. Uh, the ups and downs happen in life, and the devil comes after us in both of them. And oftentimes in the down periods, he will attack our faith in God. He'll try to get us to doubt God. Uh, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't he, why isn't he doing what I, what I want him to do? I'm doing my best to serve the Lord. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best to serve the Lord. And why is it that, that I'm not able to, to, to see God answer prayer? You know, why is it I'm trying to move forward and do something for the Lord and it doesn't seem like anything's working? And so I wanted to be able to help our people to understand those, that there were good answers to those questions. And, uh, and so that produced then that series on suffering. In the course of that, one of the questions I had to come up with an answer for um, was how do you handle it when God seems to be ignoring you? Because there have been times in my life, I got saved 36 years ago. There have been times in my life since I've been saved where I felt like God was ignoring me. And when that happens first, you, after, after it's happened and it happens again, you have some reference point. But when it first happens, you're like, okay, God, <laughs> you know, you give me all these encouragements to pray. How come you're not answering? But it's not just that he doesn't answer prayer. It's like he's not there. It's like... Um, you, 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 you pray and just, it just goes nowhere and you, you, you just can't, you, you're just struggling and there are periods like that in the Christian life. And I, I wanted to answer that question that the way I phrased it is when God is silent. What do you do when God is silent? And so I want to try to answer that for you tonight so that you have that as an answer. So when it happens to you, when you get yourself in a tough position where it seems like God is ignoring you and he's not, he's not responding to you at all, what is he doing? And I, I want to help you with that tonight. So we'll start in Psalm chapter 10. Psalms is my favorite book of the Bible. I've read from the book of Psalms more than any other book, uh, more often than any other book, and I've probably preached from Psalms more often. We're just going to look at one verse in Psalm 10, verse number 1. The psalmist says in Psalm 10, verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Apparently, I'm not the only one that's ever had that happen. Apparently, the psalmist experienced the same thing. There was a, a time in his life he identified as a time of trouble, and in that time of trouble, he felt like God was nowhere to be found. You know how when you were little, you know, you were a kid, and you got in a fight in the playground, and you, your best friend was the biggest kid? And so you could pick on anybody you wanted because you knew if you got in trouble, he'd be right there and you'd be good? But then that one time you picked on a kid because you thought your buddy would be there to back you up, but he'd gone inside to go to the bathroom or something, and then you're left, you're like, where are you? <laughs> I need some help at the moment. And that's sort of a ridiculous illustration, but in a much more expanded sense, that's, that's what the psalm is saying. He's saying, I'm in trouble. Where, where'd you go? Why are you hiding? Why are you not here to help me? Trouble itself is a bad enough thing. And there's lots of Bible synonyms for trouble, and there's lots of examples in our lives of what trouble is and what trouble can be. But it's not just that the trouble comes. The trouble is bad enough. It's that when I've got this trouble and then God is not helping me with this trouble, when the devil's attacking me, when, when you know, someone's saying something about me, when I'm, I'm going through a situation with a great grief with a loved one or something of that nature, and it's not just I'm experiencing that, but I'm experiencing that and God is not answering me at the same time. 
it's that that I want to try to address or help you with tonight. One of the things that I learned in the course of that study, and I don't think this is news to you, I think you understand this too, is that Jesus is, Jesus is so wonderful. Everywhere you look at him, he's wonderful. It, it doesn't matter what angle you look at Jesus, he's awesome. But one of the ways that he's wonderful is Jesus never comes to you and me and asks us to do something he hasn't done first. He's not the one who sits there under the tree while he's being fanned and tells us to go to work. Whatever he calls for me to do, he's done first. Including in this, there was a time in, in Jesus' life where he was experiencing trouble and it seemed like God wasn't anywhere around. And that, of course, you'll remember was when he was on the cross. He makes seven statements on the cross and one of those seven statements on the cross is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's saying, where'd you go and why'd you leave? Now, maybe that was a sh relatively short hour, you know, a few hours of time, but there was at least that time. And of course, he's quoting the psalmist in Psalm 22 when he makes that statement. Jesus himself, now, if Jesus himself, who never sinned a single time, who had a perfect knowledge of what God was doing. He understood the ark of redemption. He understood why God the Father sent him. He understood his purpose was to die on the cross for our sins. He knew that. If, if Jesus, who was sinless, and Jesus, who understood what God was doing, you know, a moment ago, these ladies stood up here and saying, God's molding a masterpiece. But sometimes when you're being molded, you don't feel like he's molding a masterpiece. You just feel like everything's messed up. But Jesus understood what God was doing. But if even Jesus, who was sinless and understood what God was doing, if even Jesus had to deal with, come to terms with the absence of God, that God didn't seem to be around, then it shouldn't surprise you and it shouldn't surprise me if we who don't measure up to Jesus, we're not sinless like he is, and we don't have a perfect understanding of all that God is at work doing, it, it's just we, we should expect that if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. Um, so I want to give you several statements to help you with this matter of when God is silent. Number one, I must examine myself to see if the silence of God is caused by my sin. Is God being silent because I have driven him away? Now, let me qualify that by saying I believe in the om omnipresence of God. Is there anywhere God is not? No. So if this building burned down, that's a terrible thing to say, and I hope it doesn't happen. Pray it doesn't happen. But if this building burned down, you all would have church somewhere on Sunday because he doesn't live in this building, right? He's anywhere. doesn't matter where you are, he's there. And so I believe in the omnipresence of God. But even though I believe in the omnipresence of God, there's times when I, I act in such a way that I drive his presence away. Or at least uh, those of you that are married will understand this. Sometimes when you're fussing with your, well, I never fuss with my wife because I'm an angel. She's always fussing with me. It's always her fault. Um, I can say this because she's about 600 miles away. Um, but you're, <laughs> you're married and you're in the same room, but ain't nobody talking to anybody, right? There's like this massive frosty wall in the room that, that you know, this, this, it's just there's, there's nobody communicating with anybody. And there's times when my actions will do that, they'll put that barrier up between God and I. The Bible speaks of that, Psalm 66, 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, does God physically hear the words I say? Of course, God hears everything everybody says. In fact, he knows it before I say it because he knows what I think. But he's not listening to me. He's purposely not listening to me because I'm choosing to live wrong. 
Moses in Deuteronomy said something similar in Deuteronomy 32, quoting God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 20, he said, that is, God said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom there is no faith. Froward means stubbornly rebellious. What God said there by way of Moses is he said, I'm not going to listen to you because you're a rebel and you're stubborn about it, and I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. So the first thing I have to do when I feel like God's not listening, when I feel like there's, there's, he's just being silent, is I have to check to see, is it my fault? Now, again, let me qualify this by saying, in some sense, I'm always at fault. Because there's, there, there's levels in me, there's, did you ever peel an onion? And you take off that outside skin, and what's inside of that? Another layer. You take off that layer, what's inside of that? Another layer. You take off that layer, what's inside of that? Another layer. And that's how God works on me with my sin. He peels off one, and all it does is show me the next one. And he peels off that one, and it shows me the next one. And so I'm conscious of the fact that there's always something in me that he's working on. But I think there's a difference, and I think you would understand what I'm talking about. There's a difference between God is working on me about something and there's something I very clearly know that's wrong in my life and God has told me to stop it or he's told me to start it and I haven't. And that's why God's being silent. So I must examine myself about that to see if it is me. Psalm 139, the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So that's the first thing I have to do. But let's assume for a moment that that's not the case. Because if it is the case, then we can just stop there. And the answer is, I'm wrong and I need to get right. And as soon as I get right, then that barrier between me and God will be gone. So let's assume that's not the case. And it's not an issue of me being rebellious or you being rebellious against God. It's not that. So let's move on to number two. And this is going to sound like it doesn't make sense, but I really believe it. Number two, when God is silent, he still comforts. He may not say anything, but he still gives comfort. There were times when I was a kid where I didn't feel well, and my mother would come into the room, and she wouldn't say anything, but I'd be comforted. This is more than that, though. There are, there are, all right, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and the, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit in John, I think it's John 15, 14, he's our comforter. That is one of the roles or tasks or jobs that he has. Now, God may not, so I may be in trouble, and it may seem like I'm praying and God is not responding. To my, he's not telling me why this is happening. He's not changing the circumstances. He's not giving me any insight. He's not, I'm not advancing in any way. In fact, it seems like things are doing nothing but getting worse. But even in the midst of that, he still comforts me. Most of the time, it's because if he did give me an explanation, I wouldn't understand it. If you can understand God, he's not much of a God, right? If, when my daughter, I, my, I have a daughter in heaven and a daughter on earth, and I tell my daughter on earth, why can't you be like my daughter in heaven? She's never caused me a moment's problem. But um, my daughter on earth, she's a, she's a little girl, and she's riding her bike, and she goes around the corner, and she falls off the bike and she skins her knee and she starts to cry. So I run up to her and she's crying. She doesn't, she doesn't say, Daddy, can you explain to me the physics of exactly what just happened? Yes, I can, Emma. 
So centrifugal force plays this part in this role, and the fact that you turned at the wrong angle and the fact that your tire didn't contact the ground just correct, if I gave her that explanation, would it be any comforter at all? She doesn't need that. What she needs is me just to pick her up and hold her, right? And there are times where we get frustrated with God because he doesn't seem to be answering, but he's giving us comfort at the very same time. And you have to look at that comfort and say, okay, he doesn't seem to be explaining anything to me, but he sure is comforting me, so he's obviously not ignoring me. Let me give you an illustration from my own life of, of, of how this worked its way out in practice. When I graduated from college, um, there's an unspoken law or rule if you're an independent Baptist. It's not in the Bible, but you would almost think it's in the Bible, which is that you can't pastor a church unless you're married. A single pastor, the idea of a single pastor just makes people nervous. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you, you, you so I, as I was going through college, I had a plan. My plan, I went, as a freshman, I didn't date much as a freshman. I just got my feet on the ground. As a sophomore, I started to, to look around and figure out what kind of girls I was interested in and went on a few dates. But by the time I got to be a junior, I said, okay, I need, I, I need to get my act together. And so, so I did. I got my act together. And I, I began to date a, a particular young woman, and we dated for a long time. We dated for about a year and a half. And I had, I had this plan all laid out. So I'm, we're going to date up until, up until we graduate. I'm going to get engaged to her the Christmas before college graduation. And then after college graduation, we're going to get married that summer. And then we're going to spend about a year there. I'll just stay in the area and we'll get to know each other. Our marriage will get settled in. And then I'm going to go look for a staff position at a big church somewhere. That was my plan. Did you ever make a plan and God goes, <laughs> if you've lived the Christian life at all, you know what that's like. So that was my plan. So right in the middle of this plan, she messed me all up. So the summer between my junior and senior year, I'm going to propose to her in three months. She asked to talk with me, and she sits across the table from me at the, little, at the little island on the lake at the college, and she hands me my class ring back. We weren't engaged yet, but she had my class ring because we were, she was my girlfriend. She hands me my class ring back, and she says, we're done. I'm like, and I didn't see it coming. It wasn't like things were bad and I saw it coming. Uh, and maybe I should have seen it coming. That was my fault, but I didn't see it coming. And it was her decision, not mine. And, and, and then she was gone. She was at college that year, but she avoided me like the plague. And, 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 and she's a wonderful woman. She married a guy she dated before me, and he's a pastor today, and they've been in the ministry for 28 years. And, 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 and the Lord has worked in her life. I'm not, I'm not bitter. But at the moment, I was really struggling because here, what I want to do is I want to do what is God's will for my life, which is to be a pastor. I want to go into the ministry. This is what God called me to do. And I've been working on this at this point for 10 years. I have this all laid out. I'm following good advice in doing this. I was very careful in who I chose to date. She was a good girl. She loved the Lord. She was a hard worker. She'd made a, made a great mother. She, she had talent and skill and she, and, and, and she was perfect match, I thought. And and I had done this trying to follow God in the book of Proverbs and follow advice from my parents and other people. And, and it all made sense. And then all of a sudden, nothing makes sense. And I can remember I finished my senior year of, high, of college and I wasn't married. And I had an appointment with a pastor of our church and he, he gave me his regular counsel. He said, you need to stay here until you get married. 
Well, then I got desperate because I wanted to go into the ministry. And I, and I felt like I had, I, I had to, like, check this box off. Like, you have to have a blue car to go into the ministry. So somebody give me a blue car. And it, it, it just wasn't working. And the harder I tried to accomplish that, what I thought was a good thing, and marriage is a good thing. The Bible says, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. I actually have a Bible verse, God, that says this is a good thing. But the harder I tried, the worse it got. Remember one Valentine's Day night. When you're single and you've broken up and things are going bad, Valentine's Day is awful. And I was working that night at a, at a steel factory. It's February up north. It's cold in February, icy, snowy. And I always prayed. I had one 20-minute break. I had a 10-minute break and a 20-minute break. And I, it was a union shop, so the 20-minute break was really a 30-minute break. And uh, I prayed always on that 20-minute break. I'd walk outside and pray. And I have a very distinct memory of that Valentine's Day night of walking outside and walking around the block of that empty uh, factory set, all these factory buildings, and they're all closed, and it's dark and cold and freezing, and, and I'm yelling at God the whole way around the block about why is my life in this mess? Why aren't you... Where are you? He didn't answer me. But he comforted me. You understand the difference? There's times he's not going to answer you, but he'll still comfort you. Let me move on. Number three, other than for my sin, his silence is proof he is at work. Other than for my sin, his silence is proof that he's at work. Now that sounds illogical, but it isn't. It sounds like I'm arguing with myself, but I'm not. Is God omnipresent? All right. Is God omniscient? So is God aware of what I'm going through? Is he here? Theologically, is he, is he present with me? So if I know that the Bible tells me he's present with me, and if I know for a fact that he knows what's, what, what's going on, then if he's not responding, there is a very good reason why. It's not that he doesn't know, I know he knows. It's not that he doesn't notice, I know he notices. So if I know he knows, and I know he notices, and he's not responding, there's a very good reason why he isn't responding. Um, his silence proves to me he's accomplishing something. To quote the ladies who sang it a moment ago, he's molding a masterpiece. Now, this is borne out in my experience. So I, I went through that situation, not going to dwell on it anymore, but what I briefly told you about. And <clears throat> now then, if something happens in my life where it seems like God is not responding, I just remember the fact that I used to be in that situation before. And later on, over time, and I don't have time to tell you those stories, but over time, uh, uh, basically I saved up enough money and I bought a wife from the Philippines. And not really, <laughs> Um, but over time, I, un I, I could look back and I could see, I asked my wife one time, I said, where have you been all my life? And she said, growing up. And it was a great answer because what she was saying is God was, God was molding me and getting me ready. He, she wasn't ready when I was ready. <laughs> and I wasn't really as ready as I thought I was. So I've gone through that and God was silent and it seems like he wasn't doing anything, but I know in retrospect now looking back on it, he really was doing something. So now when I'm in a situation where it seems like he's not doing anything, but I know the Bible tells me he knows and I know the Bible tells me he's here, then there must be a good reason, which means 
He is doing something. I just don't know what it is. So the very fact that he's not answering me is proof of the fact that he is doing something. Now, that's not just my experience alone. This is borne out by other people's experience. Some of you may have heard of a writer named C.S. Lewis. He was a mid-20th century writer. And C.S. Lewis lived most of his life as a single man. And as an older man, he got married to a woman named Joy. And he wrote a book about that experience called Surprised by Joy. And uh, about how God brought this woman into his life. And he was just excited about that. But then they were married for a short time and she got sick and she died. And he was mad at God. He's like, why did you even bring her into my life if you were just going to let her get sick and die? And when he got mad at God, God didn't, God didn't, give, him any, didn't give him any response. And he wrote another book about that experience called A Grief Observed. And in that second book about God allowing his wife to die, he said this. Meanwhile, where is God? There is, this is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. What do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence becomes. There is no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. And that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? So apparently I wasn't the only one to experience that. Some of you may have heard of Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma in previous days. And great man of faith. If you ever get a chance to, to read about Adoniram Judson and his life, take that, take that opportunity. What, what, what you can learn from him is just tremendous. But Adoniram Judson, he, he, he's in Burma as a missionary, and war breaks out between England and Burma. He's English. War breaks out between England and Burma in 1824, and he's English, and he's serving there as a missionary. And so they throw him in prison because he's English, so obviously he's a spy. He's not. It just so happens he's English. He's a missionary, but they throw him in prison. While he's imprisoned, he's tortured, and while he's imprisoned, they tortured him so badly that they brought him to the place of considering suicide. He was that desperate. While he's inside of prison and he's being tortured and he's so depressed he's considering suicide, he gets message from the outside that his wife has died. And then he gets another message that his daughter had died. I, I've learned this about God, and I don't want to depress you. The purpose of this series when I taught my church was to prepare them so when these things happen, they understand God is at work. I've learned that God often does that. He presses us to the place where we, we're at our wit's end, and when we tell him that, he presses us some more. And he doesn't answer. He doesn't explain when he got out of prison after losing his wife and his daughter and his own mental health, he, he tried to go back to his mission work and he just, he had no heart, no spirit because he was just doubting God. Where's God? How come God isn't doing anything? He went out into the jungle in Burma and he built a hut and he lived in the hut by himself and he tried to process all of this. And he was so depressed, he actually dug a grave that he was going to bury himself in. 
and he would, he would sit by that grave. You talk about morbid. He, he would go sit by that grave during the day, his own grave. And there's a, there's, an, there's a letter in existence from that time period in his life that he wrote to his dead wife's parents from Burma. And in that letter, Judson said, have either of you learned the art of real communion with God? And can you teach me the first principles? God to me is a great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. See, I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. In fact, to abbreviate some other things that I don't have time to say, you can see this all through the Bible. Remember when Joseph was in prison? He's a slave, becomes a great slave, then he gets thrown in prison. Then the, the butler and the baker come in, and he interprets the dream for him, and he says, remember me to Pharaoh? Tell, me, tell Pharaoh about me? And he's all excited. And the guy says, I will! And then he doesn't. And that silence... Joseph struggled with that. Um, the children of Israel, while Moses was in exile, they struggled with God. How come God, we're, we're, we're enduring all of this as slaves? Where are you? And he doesn't answer. The psalmist expresses this in Psalm 44 and Psalm 88. But let me show you what I think is, is really the best expression of this in the Bible. Take your Bibles, go to Job chapter 23. This is our second scripture and we'll be done tonight. Job 23. If you don't understand what I'm trying to teach you tonight, I would ask you to remember it because you will understand it. Because it's how, it's how God works. Job 23, look at verse number one. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. How many of you know the story of Job? How God took his wife, took his children, took his property, all of that, okay. Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might even come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job said, if I could find God, I would tell him exactly what I think. But he can't find God. Now, was God there? Yes. Did God know? Well, we know that not just theologically, but we know that from the book of Job. It was God's idea in the first place. But Job's like, I can't find him. And if I could find him, I would give him all the reasons why what he's doing is wrong. Verse number five, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. How come he's not talking to me? Will he plead against me with his great power? Would he argue with me? Nobody give me strength. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. I could argue with him and he could explain to me and then I would know. But he doesn't even respond. He doesn't even answer. Verse 8 and 9 describe this awfully and yet so well. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Job understood this. Now you and I know from reading the book of Job that later God does open himself up to Job and speak to Job. Job toward the end in chapter 42 says, I repent in dust and ashes. And God blessed the end of Job's life. But Job, like the psalmist, like the Savior, he got himself to a place where, God, how come you are being silent? 
the largest thing that I can do in the silence of God is do exactly what these ladies sang about a moment ago, is to live by faith that even though I do not see God working, even though I do not feel like God is working, even though it's, I do not feel like he even notices, I believe that he's at work. I believe that by faith. I sat last Friday at a coffee shop. I go to a coffee shop about once a week. Not because I like the coffee, I don't drink coffee, I drink tea, but because it's the kind of coffee shop where people talk to each other. And the tables are grouped so that perfect strangers end up sitting around together and having conversations. I go there because I want to find a chance to witness to people. I had a fascinating conversation last week, a table full of people. Somehow or other, we came on the subject of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And uh, so I, as kindly as I could, preached the devil out of him from the book of Romans. I remember one guy kept saying to me, sitting there at the table, he kept saying, he kept wanting to go back to this in the Bible, but explain this to me. He'd bring up this, because he knew his Bible. What about this in the Bible? Explain that to me. And I had what I thought were decent answers, but he didn't like any of my answers. And I finally looked at him and I said, that's why it's called faith. I'm for apologetics, I'm for study, I'm for all of those things. But our religion is at its heart a belief in God. And belief is not something I can put into a, into a it's something I'm, that I, I can't see it, but I believe it. Look what Job says in the very next verse, verse number 10. But he knoweth. I'm looking for him. I feel for him. I'm looking for him. I can't find him anywhere. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He could not feel God's presence. God was being silent with him. But Job had the faith to believe that even while God was silent, he was at work. And what he was doing was something wonderful. If God's ever silent for you, you're not the only one. It happened to lots of people. And we must trust him through it. He's at work. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the attention of these good folks tonight. Lord, I, I want so much to trust you. Lord, there are times in my life where, where that becomes difficult, where I think I've learned to trust you, and then you do something else in my life that forces me to confront my own doubt and my own frustration, my own worry and anxiety. And Would you help me to just have faith in you? Not only that you know what you're doing, but that you're at work in my life for your purposes for good. Lord, what I pray for myself, I pray for these dear people. Help us to trust you, especially when you're silent. I pray. Amen.